Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Quick update on that text line. How about 651-989-9226? By the way, Denny Long is away. He'll be back next Saturday on the program. Mary Meyer in studio. Our phone number as well is 651-989-9226. Good to see you again this week, Mary. Yes, great to be here, Steve. And the tomatoes are thrilled, the cucumbers. I mentioned before the year, they love this weather. Lots of plants are happy now because we've got warm weather, we've got great growing conditions, lots of rain. So we might not be so happy with the heat, but many of our plants are. Many of our uh, vegetables are uh, kind of tropical plants. So the tomatoes, cucumbers, zucchini, squashes, pumpkins, they they don't mind the hot weather. uh, They're happy. Plenty of water, though. Plenty of water, yes, and we do see a lot of insects coming out now. I was killing iris borers on my iris this week, and I saw the first Japanese beetles on my own property, and several people have alerted me that they are seeing Japanese beetles. Uh, We have an interesting article on counts of Japanese beetle grubs that's being done by some of my colleagues working on fruit and uh, grapes. You talked about your grapes. You gave up on your grapevine seed. They're long gone. (laughs) Okay, so, uh, but this was interesting. These were counts of uh, grubs in the soil. This is the immature form of the Japanese beetles and still fairly high count numbers uh, coming into this spring. They did counts last fall, counts this spring, still high numbers. And so we are starting to see these uh, Japanese beetles come out. So the first ones, if you can control the first ones on your property, remove those. Uh, that helps to uh, keep the others from finding your garden. So they, the, they're um, chemicals uh, emitted from the leaves that get injured and that brings in more Japanese beetles. So controlling them early is good. And you had a great tip and that is picking those beetles off and as quickly as you can. can. If if you have the ability to do it, get out there and just pick those off. Mm -hmm. Maybe a pail of soapy water, drop them in. Early in the morning, they are less active. They're kind of sluggish and they're great. They're very good flyers, but early in the morning when temperatures are cool, they are they are less active. Um, the other part of that article I thought was really interesting was the amount of damage done. You can have 20 to 25% damage on the leaves, and you will still get a good crop of grapes. And interestingly enough, some people did visual um, damage sightings, and they said, how much damage is this? And people said, oh, you know, 50% or something. But when they actually did the leaf coverage, it was much less. So we may be over, I hate to tell you this, Steve, since you don't have your grapevine anymore, but we may have a tendency to overestimate the damage 
Uh, but if if it's less than 20 or 25 percent, you won't see a difference in the yield of the crop, at least for grapes. This is the first research yeah. coming out for grapes. So get a, get a handle on those. Uh, the quicker, Early. the better. And by the way, we had a number of reports a week ago of people starting to see Japanese beetles, and I would assume we'll hear yes. the same today we, on the program. Yeah, right. And of course, now we're on July 13th, but um, most years they'll come out in June. This year we saw very, very few in June, and so now to see the 13th of the month, maybe we'll have a little shorter season for the Japanese beetles this year. We can only hope. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Denny is away. Steve is sitting in. Mary Meyer is in studio. And of course, uh, we invite you to call early. Uh, we we always run out of time at the end of the program, so we invite you to call or text early at six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. I want to sneak in a question. I have um, tomatoes are doing well. Um, I have a cherry tomato in a pot near the deck in a really warm spot, and then I have some tomatoes in the garden, as typically I do, and I move the tomatoes around so they're not in the same spot every year. And Good for you. Keep the soil very clean and all of that sort of thing. But I've noticed this year more than other years that, that the tomatoes are really getting tall, and I'm wondering if I can mitigate that because, once again, once the tomatoes come, those stems tend to bend, and is there any way I can mitigate that growth? Well, there are two things. So number one, they they have to be in as much sun as possible. So sometimes, you know, uh, six to eight hours a day is like the minimum for tomatoes. So all sure. day sun is the best. So they'll get leggier and taller in, in shadier places. And number two is there are two kinds of tomatoes. The indeterminate will grow forever get taller, taller. The determinate ones have uh, flower buds at the tip, and those are short. So different kinds of tomatoes are, uh, some are some are tall and leggy just by nature. And many of the cherries, like the um, Sweet 1000, which is one of my favorites to grow as a container, that is an indeterminate, so it's always going to have that continual height coming on it. And, that, and that's what yes, I sir. have. And that, <laughs> yeah. that thing is just... It's a producer. A, yeah, that's yeah. a great... It's a great container plant because it produces hundreds and, we think, thousands, right, of tomatoes. And yet, it's yeah, that's an indeterminate one. And they're so great right off the vine. Yeah. I mean, just a quick rinse, and it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I find kids, that's the tomato. Kids often don't like tomatoes because of their acidity, but those small cherry ones that are sweet, they will, they'll try those out. Oh, they're great. One of, one of my favorite things in the summertime. All right, uh, to the phone lines <laughs> and to the text line once again, simple, 651-989-9226. And that's good for all our programs. Let's go to Karen in minute time. Karen, you're on the air. Good morning. Thank you, Mary. Um, my question is, I have a beautiful head, a beautiful geranium. It was given to me for Mother's Day, and it was just beautiful blossoms. And it has since, um, it is, it's just dying. And I'm wondering, um, it's slowly dying. Is, the, is it being greatly affected by moisture I've let it dry and then and then watered it. Uh, could these awful springtail bugs be after it, or could a chipmunk? I thought they were not attracted to geraniums, but it is slowly dying. Should I just biz bag it and start over? Uh, 
Well, Karen, it sounds like you do have it outside, so you need to keep it in full sun conditions. Geraniums are a pretty tough annual. Uh, They will tolerate a lot of um, adverse conditions, and they don't mind drying out. So it might be that you're overwatering it. So I would make sure that it dries out in between waterings and that you have good drainage so it's not in standing water. So the container that it's in, should have a drain hole in it, and just keep it in full sun. Um, You can try giving it some additional uh, fertilizer. As far as the chipmunks liking it, what usually happens is those small animals will start to dig around in the soil, sometimes attracted to what the synthetic soil mix is. Uh, We tend to have some organic materials in our soil mix now, whether it's rice hulls or um, coconut fiber, other things. Sometimes these organic uh, materials, substrates that are used for soil mixes, are very attractive to wildlife. They will kind of check it out for eating. And so that's sometimes why they're in there digging around. They don't really want to eat the plant, but what the plant is growing in uh, might affect them. So I'd try full sun and fertilizer. 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226, Mark Garden Show underway. Mary Meyer in studio today. Let's go to Jack in Andover. Jack, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, good morning. I have a question. Uh, not all of my tomato plants. I have 10, but two or three of them, the leaves are very wrinkly at the end, and I'm hearing it's an insect thing. And Is there something I can do to stop this or prevent it moving forward? Uh, Jack, I'm not sure exactly if you have an insect. There are some tomatoes that will actually get a leaf roll or the leaves will curl up, and that is a natural um, kind of phenomena. Um, I would urge you to look at the What's Wrong With My Plant section of our extension.umn.edu website. Look up tomatoes and leaf, uh, tomato leaves, and you'll see different pictures there of diseases or insect problems. But um, I, I don't know that for sure that you have an, an insect on that. Uh, unless you can actually see some insects, it might be more of a physiological phenomena with the type of tomato you have. On tomatoes, should you clip uh, dead leaves? Uh, yes, leaves that are dead, it's good to take those off, especially at the bottom. That's where the first diseases come on, so good sanitation affects that. You know, and that reminds me, Steve, I think last week I had a question about does pruning affect tomatoes' health? with getting diseases. And I think what uh, that person was alluding to is if you, if you have a better air circulation and more um, one, one uh, main stem, you are less likely to get diseases. When you have a big bunchy uh, bushy plant with lots of uh, foliage, you might have poor air circulation, maybe some more disease. I don't usually prune my tomatoes, but some people like that look and, uh, Take off all the suckers. I don't usually do that. Uh, let's go to Marguerite in uh, Minnetonka. I hope I got your name right. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> I have a question about my hostas. Um, all of a sudden, a, a, a stalk or a stem or whatever will start to droop, and then pretty soon it's lying flat on the ground, and then pretty soon it's it's just it's out off the plant, and it's kind of um, brownish where it leaves the plant. 
uh, our most common problem that we have with slugs, Marguerite, is uh, slugs that we have with hosta is slugs. So slugs are out there in the night; they're nocturnal, and they will eat or chew on hosta leaves and or petioles. And they can do significant amount of damage. Rarely do we see them because they're nocturnal. Uh, so that is my first guess as what you're seeing. There are also rabbits that like to feed on hosta, and they will um, do quite a bit of damage um, as well. So if it's slugs, um, there are some different materials, coarse material, coarse sand. You could buy um uh, diatomaceous earth, which is crushed seashells. Anything coarse around the base of the plant will deter slugs. So I think maybe that's what your issue is. Quick break. We have more on our Smart Garden Show with Mary Meyer. Uh, we have Linda with a question about morning glories. We have a bunch of texts. And Chuck in Plymouth wants to know about oak wilt. We'll get into that and much more here on the CCO. Thanks so much for joining us. It is Smart Garden. Denny Long is away one more week. He'll be back next Saturday. Mary Meyer in studio. Phone lines are full at 651-989-9226. Of course, you can text the same number, 651-989-9226. Let's go to Chuck in Plymouth. Chuck, good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, I've got uh, two medium-sized oak trees that are about uh, six feet apart. Um, that last uh, end of June, first part of July, started to defoliate. And it appears though they had oak wilt, so I treated them with uh, the propoconazole last year. And this year they came out beautiful and they're continuing to be beautiful. Is uh, I thought uh, oak wilt was fatal. Well, uh, it, it, it's, it can be, Chuck, you're right. It can be, but hopefully what you did will... Um, invigorate your tree and be a preventative treatment. So it really depends on how badly your trees were affected when you do the treatments. So hopefully uh, this will um, prevent it and um, you will escape oak wilt. So you did what you should do. Um, the, I think it's every two or three years they'll talk about using the chemical treatment. So it, it does last more than one year, but just making sure they're in good um, health, they have adequate water. Uh, good luck with that. You did the right thing. Yeah. And oak wilt, uh, we brought it up a week ago. It's brought up frequently. Don't prune oaks <laughs> right. this time of year. Exactly. Please don't touch them. We're still in the high risk uh, area of uh, timing. Uh, when, dead of the winter is the best time to do the pruning. So thanks for remembering that, Steve. Yeah. And Mary, it's, it's hard to believe such a, a massive, powerful organism like an oak tree. When, when a storm blows through, um, the other trees in my yard, oaks are completely unaffected. It, it's like the wind isn't even blowing, you know. So they're so sturdy, but they're they're susceptible to something like oak yeah, wilt. That's amazing. It's, it's unfortunate with oak wilt because it's affected a lot of our oaks. But you're yeah, uh, just tremendous. Uh, let's go to Linda. Linda in Greenfield. You're on. The- Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I don't know what is eating the leaves on my morning glories. I can't identify anything. Didn't know if uh, insecticidal soap would work or if I should 
try something else. I'm not sure about that, Linda. If you cannot see an insect, it's really hard to figure out what's going on there. You can use insecticidal soap. Um, that is a uh, fairly easy thing to use, and will uh, that uh, covers up the body of insects and um, does kill a lot of them, especially the soft insects like aphids, uh, scale, and so on. Um, normally, the, our recommendation is to determine what insect you've got before you use any type of uh, control. So I would continue to look for that. You can use insecticidal soap, but continue to really look for the insects, especially uh, under the leaves at different times of day. Again, it's possible it's slugs that are coming out at night. To the text line, 651-989-9226. Pepper plants have yellow and brown spots on the leaves. Is this some sort of bacterial uh, infection? And how do I treat it? Uh, it could be. Uh, this is, again, a good thing to look in the website for uh, leaf spot diseases uh, that come on peppers. There are a number of leaf spots. The chemical recommendation is a preventative spray that you put on before you start to see the damage. And this time of year, uh, peppers are ripe now. Many of our listeners, I'm sure, are harvesting peppers, especially the hot ones that come earlier. So you have to be really careful about using any uh, fungicide or chemicals when you're in the process of harvesting your peppers. If if these were mine, I would uh, take off any that have the yellow or brown spots, especially clean up any of the the uh, leaves that have fallen nearby. So taking out any of the yellow leaves will prevent the spread. So good sanitation. From our text line before we break here for the weather, and this goes to a locust. Bark on my seven-year-old locust has split from the fork all the way down to the bottom, and I've seen no new growth this year. What could be going on? Ooh. Well, the split, it doesn't sound good, but the no new growth really is worse. So that's an indication of some real, um, um, something is arresting the growth of the tree. That bark split, if it's not a very old tree, sometimes that will happen with uh, thin-skinned trees. Um, If I were you, I would have an arborist look at that. You can take a picture, send it to Ask a Master Gardener um, as well. But I think I'd have an arborist look at that. Follow up on oak trees before we break here. Can I cut a dead branch off an oak tree right now? You can. You can cut a dead branch off. And so I'm assuming that your cut then would be into dead wood. But unless that is a hazard, um, I would really avoid any pruning on oaks um, until the winter. Quick break. We have much more coming up on our Smart Garden Show. Mary Meyer in studio today. It is our Smart Garden Show. Mary Meyer in studio. Denny Long away one more week. He'll be back next Saturday here on CCO. Dennis Matuzak is our producer. 75 degrees here in the Twin Cities. And it's going to be a warm day, the real hot stuff tomorrow, but a great day for a garden tour. 
Oh, Hennepin County Master Gardeners have their Learning Garden Tour today. Not too late to take advantage of this. Just uh, search or uh, find the website is hennepinmastergardeners.org. These are in Edina, 11 gardens in Edina and to the shores of Lake Minnetonka. Each garden will feature Master Gardeners talking about gardening. And so it's a great uh, thing, Uh, $20 today. Uh, to do that per person. So a great opportunity there. And then another opportunity for our listeners, if you like the Smart Garden Show or have any comments, we have a survey going on now. So uh, Yard and Garden News, if you're a subscriber to that, you'll see the link for the survey, or you can go to Z as in zebra, z.umn.edu backslash smartgardens. And give us your comments about the survey. Lots of folks have done that already, and we appreciate that. And a question I had, and I'm going to get this in real quick, Um, fertilizing at this time of year. Probably not a good idea for turf, um, but what about uh, other plants in your garden? Yeah, some trees and shrubs, you know, the woman who called with the uh, geranium, Karen, had the geranium question. Sometimes uh, plants that we expect a lot from, flowers, fruit, and so on, are the ones that need the most fertilizer. So sometimes this time of year, especially with excessive rains, we have low nitrogen in the in our uh, soils. But we do always recommend a soil test, and we've got information on how to do that up in the Yard and Garden News as well. Quick one from the text line. Uh, maybe it's not uh, such a quick answer, but uh, a short question. My hibiscus buds... Then the buds turn yellow and fall off. What could be going on? Um, hibiscus will often do this. They will often uh, have, they set more flowers than what they can actually support. And many times these are in a container. And there again, fertilizer or water can get to be limiting. So for some of those buds to fall off is uh, normal. If they're all falling off, then it might be the pot is too, the container is too small. There's not enough soil or water there, nutrients to support the actual flowers. To the phone lines on our Smart Garden Show, let's go to Doug in Minneapolis. Doug, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning. I have a golden raspberry bush that the new growth, I saw several clumps of the new growth laying on the ground, and then when I go and I touch some of the new growth, it just snaps off in my hand. Uh, you might have an insect called a cane uh, borer. Um, there are insects that get into raspberry stems, and so from uh, above the insect, that part of the stem is going to wilt or fall off. So if I were you, I'd look very closely in the stem and see if you can't find a, a hole on the outside of the stem. And then when you slit that with a knife or break the stem open, inside sometimes you can find that borer or insect. You can also look up that raspberry cane borer online at extension.umn.edu to see pictures of that. To Kay in Goodhue. Kay, you're on our Smart Garden Show. Good morning. Yes, I have two lilac bushes that I planted two years ago. They were just a stick. Now they're uh, grown, but I don't want them where I planted them. Can I transplant (laughs) them now? (laughs) Uh, uh, It's kind of rough weather to be transplanting, Kay. 
Uh, I would wait till a cooler day. Uh, you, you, yeah, you want to do this so they have a month or six weeks to get established before the winter. So you might wait till it's a little bit cooler into August to do it, but I would uh, definitely do it uh, and then make sure that they're well watered. Um, if you don't get to it now, you do it first thing in the spring before they leaf out. That's another uh, good opportunity. But you, they sound like they're kind of small. I think your reference made me think they were small. So uh, just keep them well watered. Uh, Jack, can he, Dinah, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, I have uh, two apple tree uh, trees together, the honey trees and the um, and the sweet sixteen. Uh, for the last two years, uh, they don't bloom at all. I don't know why, what causing it. And then on the other side, I have two plum trees that bloom beautifully for the past six years, but they never set fruit. They're superior plum. Okay, so uh, you have to have more than one plum, Jack. So just having superior, superior is a great selection, but get yourself an alderman, a toka, uh, some other plum. They actually have two or three of those plums. They they do better when there's two or three kinds there because that's what you need to set the fruit. The same thing goes with the apple. We don't usually see the problem so much with the apple because there's crab apples around, other, a lot of other apple trees, and you do have two kinds there. But um, I would consider maybe pruning is an issue with your apples. Also, um, a honey crisp tends to be kind of recalcitrant with that slow to come on with the fruit sometimes. So, um, but I consider pruning. We have some good information on pruning apples with videos up on the extension.umn.edu website. Yeah, I have an old uh, Harrelson tree that uh, in recent years drops a lot of the small apples that it produces so (laughs) many. It's just ridiculous. And this is a tree where I'm constantly gathering up the, the little, little ones. The little tiny apples. But it still has a ton a of lot. apples every year. It's you an could, amazing tree. You could probably sell your Harrelsons, you know. Those are of course you can't buy those in the store, but only for a short amount of time. But that's our that's our wonderful heritage apple. Tremendous apple for baking. Hard oh. to beat that for baking apple. Yeah, they they're great. Yeah. My grandpa had Harrelsons. I always have had a, a good tart, uh firm yes. apple. Uh just just great. And, I, you know, what's amazing about the Honeycrisp, the Honeycrisp has been in the ground uh, three or four years, and it's almost as big as this old Harrelson, but the Harrelson wow. really kicks out the apples every year. Yeah. Uh, the Honeycrisp yeah. doesn't produce as much. No, and it tends to be slow uh, sometimes in production originally. Uh, let's bring in Susan in Plymouth. A lot of great calls, by the way, at 651-989-9226. We have some phone lines open at the moment, but Susan, you're on the air. All right, Susan, I hope you turned your radio down. You're on the air. Yep, that's what I did. Great. Hi, Mary. I have a clematis that I didn't plant in a good uh, location. It's uh, north exposure, but I do have... Not the crown, but the roots covered up with mulch, and it grew to about three feet, and the top leaves are, I'd say half of the top, maybe three inches of the leaves are turning brown. 
And I wondered, I did not fertilize it when I planted it because it was so late in the season. Uh, yeah, Susan, the most common issue with clematis when the leaves are browning is clematis wilt. Uh, this is a really tough thing to control, and um, it, it, it's hard to replant the clematis in that same place when you've had clematis wilt. So I'm not sure if that's what you've got. And if the majority of the leaves are okay, maybe you can just cut out what uh, is brown. But I would, again, go to the extension.umn.edu website. I look up uh, clematis wilt for pictures of that to see if that's what your plant looks like. If not, just prune off the brown. Northern exposure is okay for clematis. Uh, I have a neighbor who has a beautiful vine uh, on the north side of their house, and, and that's fine. All right, so they, so they don't need full sun. No, they don't need full sun. They need good good light conditions and uh, not real heavy shade. But yeah, it's they can do okay on the north side. And, and do yeah. they do they live for a long time? I've never taken a run at that plant. Uh, they can, yes. Clematis can live for a long time. They they are kind of picky about the site, and they can be tough to get going and establish uh, to establish initially. But if you get the right location, uh, they can be beautiful. You know, many of our listeners might not realize that there's a lot more than just the one traditional clematis vine with the big kind of purple flowers. There are shrub forms of clematis. There are other um, ones that are uh, uh, sweet autumn blooms later in the summer. There are many other kinds that you can look for. So if you haven't had luck with one the traditional clematis, look for the other kinds. The phone lines again. Let's go to Miller in Golden Valley. Miller, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning. Uh, I don't know if you talked about this. I missed part of your show. But in these Japanese beetles, I heard on TV last night they were talking about that if you would put geraniums out there, they would, these Japanese beetles would go to these geraniums and, I don't know, get drunk or whatever and and, <laughs> and um, pass out. Um, I was just wondering, is this such a thing? Have you heard of it? And they talked about you should not put them right close to the plants a ways away, and I'm wondering how far away. Well, I've not heard that, Miller, for geraniums. I think if that was a good idea, a lot of us would be doing it. Um, What you're describing is actually what kind of happens with those traps. And so we don't recommend people use Japanese beetle traps because this will bring in more Japanese beetles to your your yard uh, from all of your neighbors. So maybe if all your neighbors had traps, that would be a good idea. But no, I have not heard that for geraniums. I actually don't think uh, geraniums, sometimes the flowers will attract Japanese beetles, but I'm sticking to my recommendation of early picking them and uh, early in the morning and early in the season. Uh, one more quick call before the break. Uh, one of my favorites, Rhubarb uh, Shirley from Brooklyn Center. You're on the air. Hello. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a rhubarb plant that is about probably 30 years old at least, and it just comes up every year. I do nothing to it, and I'm very lucky, I guess. But about this time now, it will come out with a big shoot of uh, seeds. I'm wondering what I can do with them. Usually I just break them off and throw them away. That's correct, Shirley. Uh, no point in having the food reserves go to seed for the uh, rhubarb. It is an indication of the health of your plant, the vigor and so on. But, yeah, take those uh, seed heads off and, yeah, put them in your compost pile. 
and uh, harvesting rhubarb again. Uh, pull it out. <laughs> pull it out. Yeah. You can still, yeah, rather than cut, but you can you can harvest rhubarb uh, as, as long as you want. Uh, and as long as you're not taking off an excessive amount, uh, most of us harvest it in the spring and then quit. But I looked at mine this morning and I thought, oh, I could go, I could harvest my, my rhubarb again. So you can. It's nothing, nothing wrong with harvesting it as long as you don't take off excessive amount to reduce the vigor of the plant. There's, there's no doubt, <laughs> number one dessert of all time is a good strawberry rhubarb pie. Oh. It makes uh, me hungry thinking about uh, that, Steve. Yeah, good strawberry rhubarb pie, hard to beat. Quick break, we have more Smart Garden Show. Uh, Mary Meyer joining us here on CCO. Smart Garden continues with Mary Meyer. Great to have you with. So many great calls and texts today. The hour goes by so quick. We invite people to visit the Landscape Arboretum. It is one of the great treasures here in the state of Minnesota. Yes, Steve. Uh, This time of year, it's so beautiful. So many things blooming. I spent some time uh, yesterday with my grandkids in the Hosta Glade. We enjoyed looking at the Hosta and resting on a bench there. But the roses are blooming. Uh, Really fun to see the You Betcha Palace or castle that's down there, the willow structure. But a great place to walk around. Uh, Don't be deterred if you come to the Arboretum. There are a lot of people near the front when you're getting in. You know, you can go on three-mile drive, park at one of the parking lots, go through the... um, We've got a beautiful wildlife garden, uh, the sculpture garden to walk in, the shrub rose collection, the grass collection. So there's lots to see there at the maze. Yeah, and and literally year-round, whatever the month, there's always something going on. Right, exactly. Um, We should go to the text line here real quickly. And I'd never heard of this. Uh, Is it possible to dig out just a portion of a peony and share it with a friend because these are long-lived plants. I have a lot of peonies. Um, (laughs) What what about that? Well, what happens, actually, the peony has such a massive, big root system that um, unless you really, really go way wide around the whole plant, um, you often will end up only getting part of the root when you're digging up a peony. So if you really only want to get part of it, uh, you can easily get... Uh, a chunk out of the side of a peony. Um, so fall is the best time to move or transplant peonies. So about a month or so from now is a good time to start thinking about uh, digging and moving a peony. They are very uh, picky about replanting at the proper depth. So um, you have to really figure out where the eye is, the growing point, the root shoot junction, Plant that at the same depth at which it was growing. But uh, peonies, you can transplant them. Yeah. Too shallow, too deep, big problems. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's really true. And, and it's not the time of year to be planting trees as well because of the heat right now. But we're going to be moving into that time pretty rapidly uh, once yes. things get a little bit cooler. That's right. And with trees, deep planting is really a problem. So we've seen a lot and learned a lot uh from our uh, forestry experts about planting too deeply. And most nurseries are very conscious of this now. So making sure you plant at the flare, the root shoot junction, and keeping that high. Many of our trees have been planted too deep. And uh, mulch. 
pl- uh. yes, or or mulched in excessive. But but mulching helps to keep the soil cool um, afterwards, and uh, watering, of course, uh, quite essential for new uh, transplants. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Let's bring in Tommy in Minneapolis. Tommy, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Say, I have some really healthy impatience, but they don't seem to want to bloom. Um. The plants themselves are very healthy. They're in the shade. They get a peak of sun maybe an hour or two a day. Uh, Any suggestions? That's uh, kind of unusual, Tommy, because impatients are so prone to flowering that usually they've got flowers all over them uh, when we buy them. So I, my uh, guess would be a lack of fertilizer. And so the liquid fertilizer, I would try liquid fertilizer um, on them. Uh, we do recommend soil tests, but pretty much with the annual flowers, the limiting thing is uh, if they have enough water, the next thing is fertilizer. So I'd try liquid fertilizer. Before we run out of time, let's go to the phone lines again. Let's bring in Donna in Bloomington. Donna, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning. I have a problem with hydrangea. Endless summer, beautiful foliage. I give it bloom and grow, but I get very few flowers, if any. Mostly it's just like two flowers on it. I'm wondering what I can do to encourage more flower growth. Uh, That's a difficult question, uh, Donna, uh, to answer because um, we see that very much with endless summer. Um, Our growing conditions are really on the edge of what is ideal for uh, hydrangea macrophylla. That particular kind of hydrangea tends to bloom the least amount. So uh, fertilizer, uh, full sun conditions, we do read about the shade for that. That is tolerant of some shade, but I think for Minnesota, most of the time it needs as much sun as possible. Um, I I think most gardeners have a 50-50 chance with that plant of doing performing well. So if that one hasn't performed well for you, you might consider another cultivar, um, similar twist and shout as another one that's kind of in that same line. Or if you want a totally different hydrangea, the paniculatus, which are much bigger, more tree-like, those are going to bloom for you with many, many more blooms. So it's pretty much a this type of hydrangea is pretty picky. Uh, from our text line, we're running out of time, but uh, someone trimmed an overgrown dogwood. Uh, now there's hardly any leaves, just a lot of green sticks. Did we go too far trimming that dogwood? Uh, you know, probably not. Most dogwoods, especially the native ones, they'll all come back. And uh, it sounds like you have green sticks but no foliage. Hopefully that foliage will come out um, still and uh, produce this year. All right. And finally, the survey. We want to remind oh, people right. about that. We have a survey for our uh, Smart Garden listeners. You can go to Z as in zebra, so z.umn.edu backslash Smart Gardens. It's also available on the Yard and Garden News where we have an article about the eighth anniversary, eight years we've been doing Smart Garden Show. I'm going to bring a cake to the show I do with Denny when we're at the state fair. Nice. So we'll celebrate eight years of Smart Garden Show. Well, Mary, it's been great. The hour goes so 
quickly. Um, and I really enjoy the show when you and, and Denny and all the others are in studio, and it's a thrill to be able to sit thanks, in for Thanks them. for having Extension on this show. Smart Garden will be back next week. Denny Long in studio. He's taking a couple of weeks off. Once again, he returns next Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.